0: Hey good morning everybody. This is Ben Powers Commander from the Commander's Voice. My guest today is Miss Stacy Hayashi. She's come at us from Oahu, Hawaii, and we're going to be talking about the uh, 442nd Regimental Combat Team and the Japanese American contribution to victory in the Second World War. So good morning, ma'am. How are you? Uh,
1: good morning. Thanks for having me on your
0: show. We're really excited to have you on and have you talk about it. I think you're like the third woman guest we've had on the show in 29 (laughs) episodes. So I'm really happy to kind of fix the balance a little bit here. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk about the 442nd because that's a i've been interested in them since i was you know a teenager and studying world war ii history but they don't get as much uh recognition as again i always default back to everybody gets excited about the Hunter and the band of brothers mm-hmm. because of the you know saving private ryan and the band of brothers miniseries and you've done a lot of work to kind of address that issue and bring the 442nd into a more public light so we're going to yeah. explore that today but For folks who are watching or listening who may not know the story of the 100th Battalion or the 442nd Regimental Combat Team, could you give a quick overview of their history?
1: Sure. Yeah. And so it's a very ironic story, actually. So um, in Hawaii, you know, the the 100th and the 442 started in Hawaii. And we were the ones who were attacked on December 7th by Japan. So most people don't know that um, almost half the population in in Hawaii was Japanese or Japanese American, so it was like twenty-five thousand Japanese immigrants came over to Hawaii um, to work on sugar plantations in the late eighteen hundreds, and their children, of course, were American, and so these are the people who, you know, had come of age and were in the service on December seventh, um, you know, defending Hawaii from attack, you know, and so here's the the enemy, and they look like them, right? So like I'm I'm also Japanese American, I'm. A, I'm a fourth generation, we call that Yonsei, um but the hundred four four two you know they're the most highly decorated unit in u s military history um, for its size and time in combat, and people don't know who they are, you know, and it's a very um, sad people don't know who they are i mean u uh, s Senator Danny Noi, he lost his arm um, in combat in Italy, and he has a Medal of honor, and he's you know he represented Hawaii. For over you know 50 years, um, he was the first Japanese American elected to U.S. Congress, and then he, uh, and then the U.S. Senate, and he he represented us for over 50 years. Um, Sparky Matsunaga was was with the 100th Battalion, um, and then even um, U.S. Senator uh, Dan Akaka, he was Hawaiian, native Hawaiian, and he was a World War II veteran as well. So you know, I mean, Hawaii's got a, a huge history. I mean, especially since we're the only battlefield in the U.S. You know, we were the only ones who were attacked.
0: <laughs> oh, yes, ma'am. And it makes a yeah. lot of sense. And it, it's kind of interesting as you go into it, you know, literally day one from the conflict with Japan, you had Japanese Americans helping defend the uh, the island. You had members of, was it the University of Hawaii ROTC were mobilized as part of the, was it was it the Hawaii Home Guard? What Hawaii, was the proper term? Hawaii,
1: Hawaii Territorial Guard. So back then, Hawaii wasn't a state yet. So we were a territory. So it was the territorial guard. And, but we also had a National Guard, and that was actually federalized in 1940, and they became U.S. Army. So they were tw- uh, 25th Infantry Division. Um, yes, so you know, know them as the Tropic Lightning, the Electric Strawberry guys. They're in the Army, <laughs> you know, the Army-Navy game. Yes, so ma'am. that uniform is really cool. But, but yeah, so a lot of these, so the guys who became the original 100 Battalion were in the, you know, the 298th Infantry on December 7th.
0: And were they all... They were mobilized, or they were already serving. December seventh happens. They are, mm-hmm. you know, being assigned positions, guarding beaches. That people are very worried about a follow-up attack after the initial Japanese strike. How many weeks went by, but and when things started to basically calm down, and folks started to become more suspicious of these soldiers, and decide that they shouldn't be bearing arms anymore.
1: Oh, it was right away, actually. I mean, and so you know, we were attacked, and then there was it was chaotic, of course. Um, but like even that night, you know, and so you saw in in the film that I made, Go for Broke, an origin story. Um, so there's a, it was really hurtful, and also it's in the comic book that I um, I wrote about them. So the the movie that I made, Go for Broke, an origin story, is you know the origin story of the 100 Battalion for 42nd Regimental Combat Team and the Military Intelligence Service, and how it all started in Hawaii. Um, <clears throat> and and so there's a Hawaiian soldier who was friends, you know, I mean, they grew up together, they played together, they trained together. And, and yet here you have, you know, um, Hawaii is attacked by Japan. And then these people who were, you thought you were your friends, you know, they're suspecting you. They're like, oh, I mean, so the Hawaiian guy is like, oh, who are you going to shoot? You know, so the Japanese guy is like, oh, who you think? Stupid, you know, I mean, just as good American as you. So I mean, that's so I. I call it the urban myth, you know, of the 100th Battalion, um, because that's actually the story that they tell. Like that's the question: Who are you going to shoot? You know, it's in pigeon English. And and um, so Ted Tsukiyama, who is in the movie, um, he was uh, second in command of the Varsity Victory Volunteers, who were the Hawaii Territorial Guard. activated the UHROCI activated on December 7th, and then they were six weeks later. They were kicked out. All the Japanese guys were kicked out. Um, but you know so Ted kind of served as their historian and and actually as a historian for pretty much all the units you know and, and he was in most of them <laughs> so there was the, the HTG the Hawaii Territorial Guard the Varsity Victory Volunteers the 442nd um, and Military Intelligence Service and so he was with those four units um, and actually even he was with like seven units like like you know with the MIS he was with the Air Force and they were like he said eavesdropping, you know, on like Japan, uh, Japan, they were, you know, wire, they were wiretapping yes, ma'am. Um, in Burma. But um, so, you know, the other two units were the the 100th Battalion um, and also the, the 1399, they were construction engineers. And so most people don't know about them because they never left Hawaii. But, you know, a lot of the work that they did was very secret. They dug tunnels and they built water, you know, the water tower in Wahewa, Um, you know, so stuff like that. But but yeah so the it's it, it is a very ironic story um a lot of people don't know uh, a lot of people don't know it so.
0: well and that's really cool you bring up the varsity victory volunteers and the 1399th because those are two units i had never heard of or organizations mm-hmm. because the varsity victory volunteers they were obviously civilians they were removed from the territorial guard and they were deciding well what are we going to do now so there was this group of you know educated young men who wanted to serve and they banded together to volunteer their services in any capacity and they became basically almost a among other missions they became a labor organization is that is that not yeah. correct
1: yes that that's exactly correct and it was um and so i think what what might be lost on people who are watching the film and don't know about you know like immigrants right i mean they to be a student at the university for one thing you know your parents had to really sacrifice you know i mean because and so to to give up those studies that was actually a really big deal and that's why that scene with hung white ching you know who told them he was like well you guys got kicked out so now what are you going to do you're behind the eight ball you got to do something right yeah and so ted would say you got to show your colors and and so they um you know he was like well you can do manual labor and they're like what because <laughs> you, know, you know their parents had worked so hard to get off the plantation and you know the, the manual labor part to send them to, to the university. so to give that up was just really it was you know of course it was insulting, but it's like well whatever whatever like whatever it took they were going to do it. And so the VVV or the triple V um, they they became the forerunner really they, they were the precursor to the four four two. So without them and the original 100 battalion who was breaking all these training records at um, in, in Wisconsin at Camp McCoy, you know, there would be no 442, you know. And without, you know, the the people, of course, who are not Japanese or Japanese American behind the scenes, they were supporting them, you know, um, Hong Wai Ching for one, um, Shigeo Yoshida, uh, Bob Shivers, who was the head of the FBI in Hawaii, you know. so. There, there was a, a large group of people, well, well actually, I, should, I shouldn't say that, it actually was actually a very small group of people who were supporting the Japanese and the Japanese Americans, and, yes, and, and that's actually what prevented the, you know, the mass, so like on the U.S. West Coast, right, they, there was a whole Japanese internment, they incarcerated over 120,000 Americans and immigrants. You know, I mean, most of them were Americans and, and they called and they said they were like, oh, you know, you're an enemy alien. They were going to stick you in, you know, you're going to have to bring only what you can carry. And so that that was a terrible, you know, human rights debacle or a civil rights debacle. And but that didn't happen in Hawaii because, you know, because of people like Kong Wai Ching and Shigeo Yoshida and Robert Shivers and, you know, the, the military general, um, Julius Emmons. Yeah.
0: Yes, ma'am. So while these folks on the West Coast were being, you know, put into, you know, literal concentration camps, you know, euphemistically call them relocation camps or resettlement, but basically a a concentration camp in the the broader sense of the term, you have the soldiers in the 100th Battalion, they've moved from Hawaii onto the mainland to training at at Camp McCoy. Were there not Japanese American citizens actually incarcerated at McCoy while these soldiers are still training?
1: Yes. So they actually had moved them out um, to make room for the 100. But it was these, and it was so insulting. So like in the movie, right, they were were prisoners. So like on December, before December 7th, you know, the FBI was, they had, they called it the ABC list. And so they would, there was a list of like, you know, community leaders, um, you know, the Japanese school and anybody who like in the media, right? If they had a a Japanese newspaper or um, they taught martial arts or they were businessmen. So they were, you know, leaders in the community. And so they, they investigated them, you know, to see if they would be like where their loyalties lay. And so, you know, they would, and so that was, that was in the movie as well, you know, like John Burns was also part of that effort. Um, and so they would just go down this list and they're like, okay, what about this guy? Oh, he's a damn fine American. They would cross him off, you know? So, so there were, you know, like 300 people that they could not, you know, um, definitely say without a doubt, you know where what was going on and so it was very unfortunate for these people because they didn't do anything wrong it's just they couldn't be proven like how loyal they were you know so, right. so that that was really tough so like on on December 7th um over 300 sorry I don't know if you can hear <laughs> this the trash no problem <laughs> Loud, but but anyway so over, you know 300 people were rounded up in Hawaii on December 7th and <clears throat> and they, they were prisoners, you know, this was before Executive Order 9066, which called them internees, you know, um, because that happened on February 19th in 1942, you know, and this is December Seventh, 1941. Um, and so it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty tough. And so to add insult to injury, you know, they weren't, called, they were called prisoners of war. It's like, how can I be a prisoner of war? You know, like I immigrated to this country. I've been here for like 40 years you know, and I'm not fighting for the other guy. So, yeah, it was very insulting. And then meanwhile, a lot of these guys had sons, you know, who were in the service fighting for America.
0: Yes, ma'am. So now did the 100th Battalion, when they completed their training, were they amalgamated with the young men who volunteered with the Triple V to become the 442nd? Or did the 100th Battalion actually go into combat independently before it became part of the
1: 442nd? Yes, they did. So they have nine months of combat on the four four two before the four four two even showed up in the European theater. Um, so the, the hundred, they were um, they were at McCoy, you know, uh, Wisconsin, and then they went down to Mississippi to train for a bit more before being sent to before being deployed. And so they landed in you know Salerno, Italy, um, and they were with the thirty fourth division, the Red Bulls of the West National Man. Guard of Iowa. Yeah, and so they and and then they went, you know, up up the boot and they they were really devastated. Um, they're decimated in Casino, Monte Casino. And so that's where they earned their nickname, the Purple Heart Battalion, or, you know, just getting wiped out there. So that was in January 44. Um, and then so the um, so the hundredth was, you know, they're yeah, they were pretty wiped out. So the four four two, meanwhile, um was training at, you know, Camp Shelby, and, and so they sent replacements. Um, and then they, you know, uh, so those, those replacements became part of the 100 before the 442 showed up. So um, the 442 arrived in Naples in June of 44, and then they, they, uh, they met up in Vecchia. And so the 100s the became, uh, you know, part of the 442 because they were just one battalion, right? And so they were the hundred battalion, um, separate because nobody wanted them in the beginning. You know, they were like, "Oh, we don't want these jobs." But um, you know, they they were such great fighters. You know that eventually, you know that they showed Nazis would actually double up their effort when they knew that the hundredth was close by. So, so that was pretty cool um, to you know to find out later. And uh, so the the 442 shows up you know in June of '44. And actually, I just posted about this. So the 100th is, um, they become the first battalion of the 446, because there's three battalions, right? First, yes, second, ma'am. third. And so they were the first battalion. But because they were so decorated already, they were like, we're not 442, you know, we're the 100. And so, you know, that was their identity, right? And they, yes. they were very proud of wearing the Red Bull insignia on their sleeve, you know, because they earned it, right? Sure. Um, so so they, they kept their designation as the 100th. So that's why it's called the 100th slash 442nd, you know, it's, it's actually the 100th Battalion 442nd Regimental <laughs> Combat Team.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. Now, did the did the 100th reputation, not saying that the 442nd would not not have gone to go on to do great things anyway, but do you think having that stellar combat reputation spurred the other two battalions, like, hey, we have to live up to this and yes. you know, dr- drove them to higher achievements?
1: It did. Um, although, you know, of course, there's that rivalry and it's still it still existed, you know, to the day the vets, I mean, then there's, there are still some vets alive, right? And they're still, <laughs> now that there are fewer of them, they're realizing they really should be friends, but, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> that, that rivalry existed, you know, I mean, I, I saw it. Um, and they, so there are actually two different clubhouses in Hawaii, there's Club 100, there's a 442nd, you know, Veterans Club, clubhouse um they're very close to each other but but yeah i mean like so the the hundreds uh motto it was remember pearl harbor so the army actually wanted to give them the motto be of good cheer and they were like whatever <laughs> no, <laughs> no way no thanks. <laughs> right so so colonel turner barrett turner who they affectionately called him they, they called him old man turner um, he fought for them, and he was like, if anybody has earned the right to have the motto, remember Pearl Harbor, it's these boys. So that's how they got that, you know, that motto. And then the 442 picked their, um, their motto as go for broke, which is the Pigeon English gambling term, you know, risk it all to win it all. And, you know, and, and people would say that in Hawaii, you know, if before, the, you know, World War II, you know, it's, it's in like songs and stuff, uh, go for broke. <clears throat> But the 100s didn't like that, you know, they thought it was cocky. <laughs> 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 and, you know, I mean, of course, um, the, but yeah, their, their reputation did precede, it did help the 442 out because uh, these, you know, these trucks of Hali soldiers would go by the 442 who had just landed and they'd be like, hey, one puka puka, you know, because so, that's what they called the 100. The so in Hawaiian, um, a puka is a hole and it looks like a zero, so they... That was their nickname the
0: one puka puka very cool and for my audience that does not know much about hawaiian culture what, what precisely is a haole again
1: oh it's a caucasian <laughs> it's a <white> person.
0: <laughs> no worries. so the so the 447 gets to theater in, in june 1944 so there's you know roughly 11 months of combat left before uh eventually the germans are gonna uh surrender and VEDA gets celebrated. And over those 11 months the regiment goes on to do some amazing things in Italy and also southern France. The mm-hmm. so how just if you could recount just some of the highlights of their combat record. I know that they sustained a ridiculous number of casualties, they earned a tremendous amount of valor awards. If you could kind of break that down for us.
1: Yeah, so uh, they're the you know they are the most highly decorated unit. Um, they have 21 medals of honor they have well this is sort of they have seven presidential unit citations. Although there are eight certificates in the 442 office above the copy machine, (laughs) so, (laughs) yeah. Um, They have, uh, and this actually, this number has been sort of an error. Like some some sites will say almost 10,000 Purple Hearts, but that's actually not accurate. It's actually over 4,000 Purple Hearts. The other 5,000, it it was like, um, it's non-combat wounds for like trench foot and that sort of thing. Yeah, but. um,
0: but so 4000 Purple Hearts for a regimental size unit. That's still incredible.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. Right. And, um, yeah, they did some amazing things like, uh, in fact, they got they earned five of their presidential unit citations in two weeks in the Vosges mountains of France.
0: That that's yeah. incredible. I mean, that, that whole battle does not get enough coverage compared to things like Normandy or Market Garden or right. the battle of the bulge the the vo- I, I can count on one hand the number of books I've seen about the Bulge Mountains and and, and the yeah. the desperate fighting that took place there. And so that right. that's just amazing. So thank you for like this quick rundown because I wanted to just to kind of talk through the combat history real quick so we can start talking about your book and your movie. So what motivated you to start turning these stories into a a manga comic originally? And could you share a little (laughs) bit about what a manga is to some of my folks who might not be familiar with graphic novels?
1: So um, a manga is, it's just basically the Japanese word for comic book or graphic novel. And um, I started calling it that because, you know, and I, at first I started calling it a comic book because that's really what it is. But then people were like, but it's not funny. You know, it's not ha ha funny. It's a comic. It's not a comic book. You know, and, so, and it was longer than a, a regular comic book, so you know it's a very thin graphic novel <laughs> and so it, it just turned into this manga because it was just easier to use the Japanese word because, I don't, I don't know, it just
0: felt easier. Well, it seems like a little bit, too, and I'm not an expert by any sort of the imagination, but the illustrations I've seen, they seem to be inspired mm-hmm. by sort of that Japanese cartooning style a little bit more than something you'd see in a Marvel or a DC comic.
1: Right, right. And so to give you a brief uh, history on that, so I, um, so they are really cute, you know, like uh, anime style. Um, but the, the idea was always not to do the comic book first. I've always wanted to make a movie. But, you know, movies are very difficult and impossible, you know, endeavors. And so um, they're very expensive. And, and so it was like the economy had tanked. It was 2008, I think. And I was sitting with my writer and I was like, man, you know, what are you going to do if we never get to make this movie? Nobody's got any money. Um, it's not like you can just bind a movie script and people can read it. They don't know how to read a movie script. And then I was like, oh, what if, what if I made a comic book? because that's basically storyboards, you know, and it's much more bite-sized, right? So I was gonna run these historic photos through like a filter, you know, that made it like a, like a drawing. Um, and I thought, okay, yeah, let's do that. And then I called um, my friend, Jake Shimabukuro, who wrote the soundtrack for my film, um, because, you know, <laughs> earlier I had, you know, re- I've known him from since high school and, you uh, for those who don't know who Jake Shimabukuro is he's an ukulele virtuoso he's he's played for the queen of England it's pretty crazy like his career you know this That's guy playing ukulele, yeah but um I, I bumped into him you know and uh I don't know in like 2007 we re- re- reconnected and I was like hey I'm making this movie about the 442 you want to write my soundtrack you know <laughs> he was like sure you know and but of course it's very difficult to write a soundtrack when there's no movie so um when I, when I had the idea for the comic book, I called, he was one of the first people I called and I was like, yeah, what about, what about this? And he's like, yeah, I love it. Let's do it. I'll play. We'll fundraise. We'll get it done. You know? So that's, that's kind of how that sort of took that side, you know, turn. And I didn't have an artist yet. I was just gonna, you know, I didn't have a budget for art anyway. And then, um, and then I, and then I realized, wait a minute, I, I, don't have all these scenes that I want to, you know, tell. So now what do I do? Do I get little action figures and take pictures of the, you know what I mean? So there was, there was a problem. And then, and then I met Damon Wong who became my artist. And so he's an animator, you know, by trade, like he's from Hawaii, but he moved, you know, to the mainland to pursue his art. And, um, and he was like, well, I can draw it. I can draw really good. <laughs> you know, and I was like, okay you know um, but so he he works for Bob's Burgers and then that style is not I was like hey you know whatever and but you know the style in my in my mind was a realistic style you know sure. and then I thought oh but you know what I wanted is uh, so around that time Plants vs. Um, zombies you know that game in Angry Birds <laughs> that was really popular you know and I thought ah oh, this would be so um, perfect if I could have like a little 442 game like with really cute characters so I was like can you draw me some cute characters and maybe just draw Goro and Eddie they were my friends and and so he met them he was like okay so he came up with these sketches and and they were like super cute you know and I was like oh those are so adorable and then I thought who the heck has time to make a video game (laughs) (laughs) I I have to get this comic book done you know so these you know the, the the characters they were drawn but they were put on the side you know and then you know, Damon was gonna, he was helping me draw the first page. He was like, um, he's like, Oh, I'm gonna be home, you know, on vacation for like a month. We'll just crank it out. We'll do a page a day. You know, so he didn't really know what he was talking about either. <laughs> you know, he didn't know how, how much work this is what he was signing up for.
0: That's so, pretty ambitious, actually, a page a day. Holy cow.
1: Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> so, so we did that. And then it took him like, I think it took him three days to do the first page. And I was just like sitting there, just kind of like watching him. <laughs> it took him like like five hours to do three panels, and I was like, "Oh my god, we're never gonna get this done." And then, and then of course he was just volunteering to do it, and I kept on getting kicked off by his paying gigs. Of course, you know, because so I was like, "Man, <laughs> i like all this anxiety." I'm like, "Okay, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go and pound the pavement. I'm gonna fundraise. I'm gonna pay you so that you I can actually have some real deadlines, like a real project." <laughs> You know <laughs> so I don't lose my mind and and then so he you know he he did the first page and it was really nice you know it was very but it was realistic looking and I showed it to my friend Laurie, and she was like eh you know this is nice but where's the chibis you know and so the chibi, <laughs> chibis that's what we call them you know like so chibi literally means little you know like it's small in Japanese and so that's the style of drawing you know with the chibis and, and I was like, oh my God, you're right. Like that's, that's what we should use the chibis. It should be chibi style because, you know, the plan had always been to give half the print run to, you know, Hawaii schools and public libraries. And, and, but it's a very violent story, you know? Yes, and ma'am. so I didn't want, you know, parent angry parents calling me, suing me. Why did you traumatize my kid? You know what I mean? So, <laughs> So, but I realized that if we did use the chibis, we could tell that, cause the story is not about how horrific or gory it was. You know, we don't, I didn't want that. It's really the, it's the human story. Um, but of course, because they were in battle. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to address that. How can you not, you know, not exactly. so yeah. But the chibis really made it, um, it, it really made them more accessible for them. You know, like the kids, kids just really gravitate towards them you know like because it's usually like i have these big um cutouts of them and i would, I would bring them with me you know like to comic con and whatever but it, they're they're you know they're short right they're like half the size of a person and but it's like eye level for a kid <laughs> so, like i always see the little kids staring you know like <laughs> at the chiefies so it's
0: yeah. You know, oh, that's awesome. So the, yeah. and I got to admit the chibis were the first thing that caught my attention when I first was learning about your work. And that's how I first realized there was a 34th infantry division connection. Cause one of the chibis has oh. the, the red bull right. on his helmet. The and, I'm like, yeah. and the only thing I knew was that beautiful 442nd patch red white and blue with the statue of liberty and all that but here's the red bull guys i'm like okay there's a connection here i don't know about yeah. so your chibis actually taught me something and i appreciate yeah. it <laughs> so i, I gotta yeah. ask be, be, before we go a little bit further and start talking about getting the the book actually produced and transition the movie what was your background or do you have a, a fine arts <laughs> background or like what made no. you decide i'm going to do a comic and a movie and i'm going to be the most creative person on oahu like what happened here <laughs>
1: I think I'm just sort of crazy, (laughs) honestly, like, it's such a, like, um, yeah, so I'm a software engineer, like, that was my job, and then there are these tax credits that came into play while I was a software engineer, and then um, it was for, like, all these alternative, like, IP industries, you know, like, so software, that's how I found out about it, Um, health, alternative fuel, and then at the last minute, they tacked on film, and so I was like, oh, you know, I, I know it should be a movie because I'd seen this play when I was in college about the 10442, 442 And I was like, wow, that's really neat how, you know, I mean, this is something that happened in history. But, you know, when you see it in art, it, it becomes a part of you, you know, and then you carry it around. You know, you, it changes you, you know, Certainly. and so it creates a very different sort of empathy, you know, very different from a doc, even a documentary. Because when you watch a documentary, you're like, wow, that's, that's really interesting. It's something that happened to somebody else, right? Because you're watching somebody else tell their story. Um, but a movie, you know, it's like it's so intimate. Like you're it's like you're living it with them, right? Because you're like the fly on the wall. And then you, these people become your friends, you know?
0: Certainly.
1: So, so that's, that's kind of how I, I got the idea. And, you know, just being just naivete, you know, and I was like, oh, how hard can it be? <laughs> really?
0: Well, we'll okay, you succeeded. That's awesome. <laughs> so when, when did the, uh, the comic get published? When did it actually come out the oh, first yeah. run.
1: Okay, so well, let me tell you about this idea. So when sure. I had that idea, it was 2001. So yeah, so it was a long time ago and i hunted down the playwright and then and then eventually we we didn't work together you know and it was very heartbreaking for me because he said he was like i'm going to be very difficult to work with and i was like i didn't even know what that meant you know (laughs) And and so i went through like three directors three writers you know and then you know i had sort of kind of given it given it up right so the comic book um just when i just got the idea for the comic book to do the comic book that was end of 2008 and then so with Jake, we had the fundraiser in 2010, oh, yeah, okay, it was at the end of 2009. So we had the fundraiser in 2010, and then that's actually when he wrote the theme song for my movie called called Go For Broke, and, you know, but he couldn't really talk about it <laughs> because it's sort of weird, right, to be like, oh, I wrote this theme song for my friend's movie that isn't made yet, Right. <laughs> <laughs> But he would just, and then he would just talk about the vets. And he's like, yeah, this is for them. <laughs> but, it, you know, it really worked out because, so the comic book came out in to, uh, 2012 in October. And so, you know, I'd been working on this movie thing for like how many years, right? Like 11 years at that point. And, <clears throat> and then um, the comic book came out and then it was like this huge, like roller coaster because Senator Inouye passed away, like know two months after the comic book came out and and so I had had a grant from the state of Hawaii to to sort of package it and that was like in 2007 and then the governor at the time let the the money lapse and so I never got the money to do the movie or to to package package it for you know to get it ready to be whatever and then so at his funeral I mean I saw my legislator friends and I was like see he could have seen something maybe you know and they were like well you know we <laughs> we have a democrat governor now because hawaii is very blue you know yes, ma'am. Um, and that started with the 442 because you know back in the well uh, let's not get into the history of it but anyway just, just to say that <laughs> very very strong democrat state and it's because of the 10442 um sort of anyway so <laughs> so they're um we had a, a Democrat governor and the, legislator, the legislators were like, well, we'll just send, send your grant app through again. We'll rubber stamp it and, and then you'll get the money. So I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, you better, you know, because it was so much work, right? Just yes, to Just to put that together. And, and I was like, you know, it's so much, it's so tiring to get your hopes up and then be disappointed again, you know, to drag Eddie around. So Eddie Amasaki was a 442 vet. He's the only veteran, uh, only four for two vet to go to Punahou um, and Harvard, um, oh, wow. like like Obama, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, but really, I'm mean, really like there because of racism. You know, like he had two Japanese in his class. The other one was became a surgeon, um, and there were like he said there were eight Chinese, and the rest were like Hawaiian and Hali because that was you know that's what. Anyway, so. Um, but, yeah, Punahou is, like, the, the prep academy here. Yes, so, yeah. But, yeah, so Eddie, uh, Eddie was a really dear friend. So he's the chibi with the glasses, you know? <laughs> and, and he, um, but yeah, he helped me champion. So if you see in the movie, I gave him the assistant producer credit. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, because he really did help me. And then it was super sad because he, he actually passed away. Like, he couldn't, he, he never saw the finished film. But I, um, he had a stroke right after we wrapped principal photography and he had moved yeah so he had moved to Japan um after the war he married a girl from Japan and so his kids you know lived in Japan and elsewhere so he had moved to live with his daughter you know she had invited him to you know she was like I'll take care of you so and so he had had a stroke and he lost power of speech but I um I got on the first flight I could and I showed him scenes of you know, of himself in the movie. And then he couldn't talk, but he had his little claw and he would clap.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so, so sweet. Yeah. So, And that must have been a lot of motivation for you because, you know, the senator's passed away. Now Eddie's passed away. And you're trying to make this film. It's to educate a wider audience, but it's also an honor of these men. And yeah. you're losing them, you know, every day. So that must have really put some pressure on to try to get this project finished.
1: Yeah, it sucked, you know, because there was, there was so much that was totally out of my control you know and I can't make the legislators vote one way all I can do is present my case and drag Eddie around you know and and so that was like right after the senator passed you know so he he passed away on December 17th 2012 and so I put in you know the grant app in January and and then the legislature you know the session goes through April and then they had approved it but then, but then even after that, you know, like the governor has to release the funds and then they have to vet you and like, oh, can you even do that? And, and it's like the, the money was like for $560,000, which doesn't sound like much at all for a film. And it's not. Right? It was, it's nothing <laughs> for a film, right? I mean, like one episode of Hawaii 5 was like $4 million, you know, oh and that's not me. even counting kind of the marketing for it. You know, like they anyway, that's a network. So, you know, so it was very painful, you know, to, and and then at the same time, I'm like, oh my God, this is state taxpayer money, you know, and I was, you know, just so I, my stomach was just churning, like, I don't want to be responsible for state taxpayer money, (laughs) you know, but, but it was really more like, well, this story is important to Hawaii and if Hollywood doesn't care, it doesn't mean that it's not important, you know, so it's important to Hawaii. Um, so we, and, and where else in the world can you get uh, like some film students at UH, you know, making a film about their counterparts, you know, during, on December 7th, you know, nowhere else, like only in Hawaii.
0: That <laughs> so, continuity is amazing. So you've got, you know, the, these got students who are, you know, a legacy of these, you know, veterans filmed on a location where some of these events happened. I mean, yeah. just all that coming together is super powerful. And you answered yeah. my next question, because I was going to ask how you, you know, got for such a shoestring budget, you know, a a small grant, a lot of fundraising, and you guys produce a very professional product. Um, And so, you guys, it was an amazing job. So, obviously, did you get any, beyond the film students themselves, did U of H film department give you guys any support?
1: Well, the, the students themselves were a huge support. Because they were all our PAs, but they they actually got responsibility. You know, they weren't just directing traffic or getting coffee. You know, they were actually building the sets. They were helping with costuming. They helped translation. You know, handle the talent. So you know, they they really did get some great experience, um, as well as all our department heads. You know, because you know Ho- Hollywood shoots a lot in Hawaii, but you know most of those department heads they bring them in because they can't. You know, if they can't trust the local people right they don't know right and it's a big business so of course i don't i don't blame them but you know like all so the people who were department heads on my film you know they're not you know had nowhere near that kind of responsibility on you know network shows or hollywood films um, so that was that was really neat you know to <laughs> see because i mean i i knew they could do it it's just they just need to be given the chance just like the 442 you know
0: yes ma'am so so how did you recruit your actors?
1: Oh, gosh. Well, so, <laughs> so having worked on this film for so long, um, and they're only, like, you can count them on one hand, you know, the Japanese-American actors. or And not even American, like Peter Shinkoda, who plays Masaji Maramoto, he's Canadian, you know, but Peter has been, you know, in Hollywood pretty much, like, for 20 years. So he was, um, and always he's always a bad guy, right, because he's Japanese. So he played Genda in Midway, um, and then he was the bad guy, Nobu and Daredevil, you know, on Netflix. <laughs> so it's like, he's like, when do I get to play the good guy? So, you know, yeah. But I mean, and Chris Tashima, who has an Oscar, Let's so like I met Chris a long time ago too, you know, in 2004, I think but he had done a short film. So it, actually his, so he won the Oscar doing, um, portraying Chune Sugihara, who is like the Japanese Schindler. Um, he That's was right. a diplomat in Lithuania and he wrote like. 6,000 exit visas for Jews, you know, that's
0: amazing. Yeah. So connections. That's so cool. Yeah.
1: And then um, you're probably not familiar with Kikaida, (laughs) but (laughs) in Hawaii, he is huge. Um, He's beloved and he's like a household name, but he, that's who I got to play. He's not, he's from Japan. He lives in Japan, but um, that's the actor that I got to play Matajiro Otani, who is the founder of the fish auction, who was hauled off in his bathrobe.
0: Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Who it? Who it? I found him to be a very powerful character, and now knowing yeah. that 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 p- powerful of an actor portrayed him, that makes so much sense. So did was this an opportunity, do you think? I don't want you to put words in these folks' mouths, but I'm assuming they donated a lot of time. You're not really being able to command Hollywood salaries here, so this must have yeah. been a passion project for them as well.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it really was, and for everyone, I mean, and even people who Didn't you like? I mean Hawaii Media Inc., you know, they they lent us all the well, we rented the gear from them, but it was really they really gave it to us, you know, like something that would cost like the grip truck, I'm sure it would have cost like five grand a day, but they just charged us five grand for the entire production. Oh wow. You know
0: and how long did the production last?
1: Well, the principal photography was 20 shoot days over a month. That was December till January in uh,
0: That's aggressive
1: 17. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. And, but, but you know, we really, uh, so we were very short on cash, but the people of Hawaii are just so generous, you know, like they'll, we don't have like money, but like we'll give what we have. So people like, like restaurants just brought food, they fed our extras, you know, um, like that the, the last scene of the film, you know, like there were supposed to be 20,000 people, you know, we can't feed those extra. <laughs> we, could, we could barely afford to clothe them. Like, actually, we couldn't afford to clothe them. We couldn't, we, we could barely afford to clothe the soldiers, you know, because that was, I don't know, I think that was like 10 grand at least just for the dickies. But, and we told them to wear their own pants, you know, so the pants, <laughs> like, I, I just gave it away. Not going to look like
0: <laughs> You heard me here first, folks.
1: <laughs> yeah, but the crowd, you know, we just said, hey, like, and the news, the news, outlets helped us a lot too they were like hey if you want to be in a movie show up in 40s clothing um you know so that's what they did you know and and all the like mcdonald's they donated like 500 hamburgers you know and just feed our extras and and roy amaguchi you know he's a celebrity chef he he made 60 bentos and he brought it down for our cast and crew like himself you know so roy is very generous like but that's you know that's how important it is this story is to hawaii you know And the camera, the camera that we shot with was, um, it belonged to Abraham Williams, you know, he's uh, our former congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. That's actually her husband. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, he brought, it's an Ari Alexa, and that's what Hollywood shoots with, you know, and he's, he's a very talented camera
0: operator. That's so cool. So how did you get the, on, obviously you're talking about all these different donations or people who are giving you things at reduced cost when you're doing the actual, uh, military aspects of it, when you needed uniforms, weapons, equipment, I'm assuming, I, and if I'm, if I'm assuming wrong, tell me I'm wrong, but you must've got some reenactors or other types of groups involved for a little technical advice. And could you yeah. ex- elaborate on that a little bit?
1: Um, so I have been, uh, from the beginning, I made friends with the reenactors, <laughs> you know, and their vehicles, and gosh, it would have, we would not have been able to make the film without them and their stuff, you know? Um, and, And it was just kind of not, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but actually it was terrible, it was a terrible idea. So we started filming right after the 75th anniversary of Pearl Harbor. And, you know, there was like 10 or 11 days of commemorative events. And I thought that that would be a good idea because everybody would be in town. It was a horrible idea because it burned everybody out. Everybody was super tired <laughs> from everything. Nobody wanted to do anything, you know, the next, you know, like when we started shooting, so I was like, and I was exhausted because I was bringing the veterans to events and whatever, you know, and it was so early. <laughs> like, so, <far>. so, <laughs> so looking back, I was like, oh, that was the dumbest idea ever. <laughs> what did I do? But, um, but yeah, I mean, those, those reenactors, like, so Mark Chun, Erica Ko um they they brought their well they didn't bring so much gear I mean because they do have jobs like they're dentists and one is a veterinarian (laughs) you know like so they were still busy like they couldn't be on our set they did show up when they could um like we did have one shoot day it was a weekend and then like so they were able to drive their own jeeps around and so that was pretty cool um but but yeah like all the gear oh and so we shot at Schofield for like a week, that was really cool, you know. And and did you so, have to do
0: anything special coordination to get access to the installation, like go through the you know army oh, yeah. affairs and all that kind of stuff?
1: Yes. So Ramy Oprude, he was the PAO for the 25th, and uh, he was great. And he's actually in the movie. So oh, cool. when I was planning, yeah. And so he plays Jack Burns, you know, when they're in the FBI office, you know, and he's like, and he actually because he does look like Jack Burns, <laughs> so it's kind of <laughs> neat. Um, so. I wanted, so the the VVV lived at Schofield and then I wanted, you know, to be able to show Ted Tsukiyama who, who was alive then, you know, to see if he recognized anything, if he could tell me where anything was. So I called, I don't even know how I, who I called, but, you know, I mean, eventually I got in touch with Raimi and, um, and they, I was like, Hey, I want to make a movie and I want to shoot at Schofield if you'll let me. And. Because that's where it actually happened. And um, can I bring a veteran who lived there? You know. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I mean that's. And then I brought the comic book. The comic book helped a lot, of course, um, because you know, like visually, when you talk about a movie, it's like people get excited, but it's it's so like pie in the sky. They don't really, you know. But if you can show them a book, like here, I did this, and this is actually historically accurate then you have some credibility, you know, and oh, and by the way, this is Ted and he's in here. He is in the comic book and here's Eddie and here he is in the comic book, you know, and so, you know, knowing that these veterans actually helped me with these projects, you know, that that, of course, helped a lot.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Now. Rewinding a little bit, even before 2001, did you grow up with hearing stories of the 442nd? Was that just like part of your DNA or like, well, what first kind of spurred interest to even start doing this way back when?
1: <laughs> so, so let me tell you that, yes, I, I, my great uncle, my grandpa's younger brother was in the original 100th Battalion. So he was in the 298th defending Hawaii on December 7th. So my dad would tell me, you know, when I was a kid. Oh, Uncle Ko, he was a hero. He was in the one puka puka. They're the most highly decorated. And I'm like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> you know, I'm nine. I'm a girl, <laughs> ancient history. We don't even see that side of the family hardly, you know, so I really, you know, took it for granted. Like, I think a lot of people in Hawaii, because, you know, when I was a kid, they were still, um, you know, like Governor Aryoshi for example, He's, he was military intelligence service, but he was the first Japanese American governor in the United States. And, you know, so me as a kid, I, I don't know anything else, right? So, of course, I'm going to take this for granted. And then Certainly. even Patsy, Patsy Takemoto Ming, right? First, probably first Asian American Congress. Well, actually, I don't, I don't know, probably. But, you know, I mean, I just, I, I see these people on TV. They're leading our state. So to me, it's like, oh, that's just normal, you know. So I, I didn't really realize until, and then I didn't notice this either, but it was in high school. So I, I was like I was a sophomore and I wrote some paper about how the hundreds and 442nd changed the socioeconomic status of Japanese Americans in Hawaii and the United States. <laughs> and, you know, I I read these books and I forgot about it, of course. And then um So it was really the i mean but it you know obviously it began to sink in you know in high school and then in college when i saw the play i was like oh okay but you you know by then it's like you know the vets had retired and they were not really in the public eye anymore so you know people forgot right and then so i i guess by the time i thought oh this would be a great movie you know i mean not and I, I don't think I had even seen the movie Van The Van Johnson Go for Broke, you know, which which actually was yeah, it was 1950. And and so it was actually nominated for an Oscar for like best screenplay or something, and it was like the third top grossing movie that year. And so the world premiere was in Hawaii, and you know, there are some of the real vets in it. So, so that was pretty cool. But and then, but you know, like the talking to the vets, you know, working on this project, you know, later on they'd say stuff like yeah, so the holly guy gets the girl, we get the pig, you know, <laughs> so I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I, mean, I, I didn't really notice it, but that that is true, you know, it's it's Hollywood's narrative of who the, who the hero is, right, it's always this white hero, so.
0: So did that make you kind of feel like a responsibility to make sure that you told the story accurately and kind of broke away from those Hollywood versions, especially with, so, I, I don't want to come across like an over gushing fanboy but like so many heroes come out of that regiment and those stories deserve I mean, 21 medals of honor that's yeah ridiculous. you have divisions mm-hmm. that don't have that many and so, i
1: know right yeah and so it was kind of annoying to me that you know like the medal, the netflix medal of honor series that just came out like a couple right. years ago not one episode about anybody from the 100 442 i mean there was one about hershey miyamura who was with the hundred like he was with the he was a replacement he didn't he didn't get his medal of honor with 100 he got it in the korean war yes, you ma'am. know so yeah i was not that, happy
0: <laughs> <about> that. understandable <laughs> so since you kind of went from having this okay i'm not really listening to what dad's telling me about my great uncle i wrote this paper but then you start developing an interest did you like go seek out the clubhouses to start meeting these guys oh. how did you start oh. establishing these relationships
1: so it was really the movie, you know, um, I was like, oh, let's make a movie, right? It'll be fun. It'll, you know, people will learn, you know, it's so, right, re- really? <laughs> but, but, you know, so I went to, that's the first thing I did. I went to the clubhouse and I'm like, hey, what do you guys think? You know, what if we made a movie? And they're like, okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who are you again?
1: Right, exactly. I mean, I was like, I was young then. I was like 26, you know. And it's like who's his kid? And we don't whatever, but we'll well whatever good idea we'll I guess we'll try to help you. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of funny, you know, and and so along the way it was really the school of hard knocks, you know, because <laughs> there they're, the school, the film school didn't even exist at UH yet. You
0: know. <laughs> so when did you guys finally wrap this up and premiere the movie? When did it actually come out?
1: hmm so we we shot in december of 2016 and then we had pickup like six days of pickup so three days in april and then 2017 and then three days in august which is crazy because we showed the film the unfinished film to the veterans in october <laughs> so, and so my director alex he was very nervous about who because even our we didn't have our effects yet either you know and so like the Pearl Harbor stuff, and I don't even remember if we used like old like like uh, signal core or um, like historic footage, mm-hmm. but you know, I mean, the rest of it was there, and the soundtrack was there, and so I told Alex, I was like, you know what, don't worry, even worry about it. Like it looks, every, everything else looks great. This one little part is, it's totally forgivable, you know, and 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 that is what happened. You know, it it was. For me, that was the most meaningful, you know, even though the film wasn't finished to be able to show it to the vets and be like, hey, this is you. Do you see yourself? You know, and, and yeah,
0: that's awesome. Now, did you take pains to kind of cast an actor who would look like, well, this is what did he kind of look like when he was a kid? So I, we got to make sure we get this guy.
1: I did. Um, and so, you know, the <clears throat> so of course, the older actors, you know, like Shigeo Yoshida, Peter Shinko, um, well, Masaji Marumoto, I, I knew them already. So I kind of had an idea of who they should be. And then Jake Shimabukuro who wrote my soundtrack, um, you know, he had never acted before. In fact, he was trying to get out of it, you know. <laughs> but I was like, no, the camera loves you. And I'm just gonna write the lines I'm gonna write for you. It's gonna be like, cause he goes and he plays for school kids anyway, you know? So I'm like, uh, what you're gonna say to these kids is what you already say, so don't worry, you know? But yeah, I mean, it, it was it was really nice, like I guess to be able to write um, a script and and be like oh this is exactly what he said I'm going to put it in the script you know so cool. in in many ways they they the vets helped write this movie yeah
0: that's awesome that is so cool and so if folks who are watching now or listening to the podcast they want to actually watch go for broke your go for broke not van johnson's <laughs> where do they need to go and I if uh, with your permission I'd like to put a link in the comments when we oh get this
1: yeah out. sure sure go for movie.com and then they can rent or buy it so you can rent it i think it's like 12 bucks for three days or you can just buy it like forever for like 25 days although um we are i'm, I'm working on the dvd right now i mean i know nobody uses dvd but but you know what this is actually this is my demographic like they're like mostly older people and so they don't know how to stream anything so it's DVD, right i mean so they're like Where, where's the tv where's the dvd and we want to buy the dvd so so I'm trying to like put some. I'm still looking through old footage. Like this is what we did in 2002. <laughs> you know, or, or, here's our fundraiser from 2010. You know, so yeah. But that's it's hard. So like, I wanted to do like the making of. You know, like on that same sure. DVD. There's no way. I, I'm I'm not gonna. I don't have time to do that. It's gonna be have to be its own film later. But. <laughs> but the little featurette at least, you know, can talk about the soundtrack and how that came to be and how, because it's not your everyday composer who helps you fundraise for and do all these things for the veterans, you know? So I thought that was special. Um, <clears throat> and then the other thing is, you know, Eddie, you know, Eddie worked with me on this and I dragged him to the Capitol and, and the vets, you know, to Pearl Harbor to do all these book signings with, with me, you know I mean? really like it's I would I did a lot of book signings but for me it's like no here okay so if here's a spotlight I'm gonna shine it let's shine it on the vets because they're still alive you That's know awesome. and they're the rock stars so you know and they had fun you know they would come out and they would sign books and it was great.
0: Very cool. So the DVDs obviously your current project associated with the movie. Are you working on another edition of the of the book?
1: Uh, yes yeah, so we're on our third printing now which is great. Um, so I'm getting that to print right now. Um, <laughs> but the, the DVD actually some, um, so, so Jake, <clears throat> he, I was, comp- we're, he travels a lot. And so I would see him on the road much more often than at home in Hawaii. And when, one night we were talking in LA and he was like, uh, I was complaining. I was like, you know, there's so much stuff. Um, it's impossible to fit it into just like one movie, then the movie's gonna be like five hours long, you know? And he was like, well, what if it was just like Band of Brothers, you know, you have a series, like a mini series. And I was like, oh, that's <laughs> a good idea, <laughs> you know? And so that's actually how Go For Broken Origin story started, you know, like it took that, because before it was supposed to be like the whole epic, you know, like five years, right, so, well, time spent, but yeah, that was tough. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, and, and so the next movie that I'd like to do, you know, that, the one that of course everyone wants to see is the, the battle of the Vosges, because that's when they suffered 800 casualties in a month and they rescued the lost Battalion of Texas. And, and so all those things are still there, you know, like the original foxholes and the town of Bruyere looks very, you know, pretty much the same.
0: So you got, um, have you had the opportunity to go there and walk the ground?
1: Yeah, and, wow. and three. I've been there three times. Um, <clears throat> I was fortunate to, and the, the part that went, the trip that was most meaningful to me was 2014. So um, that was the 70th anniversary of the liberation of, you know, Bouillard Bifontaine, and the rescue of the Lost Battalion, um, although the people of Bouillard and Bifontaine, they, they celebrate every year. You know, there's always a ceremony and, and there's like monuments for the 1442. there's Honolulu street, there's four four two highway. Oh wow! So it, it's really, yeah. And there are tons of monuments. So it's, 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 um, and yeah, the, the foxholes are still there. So, <clears throat> but Eddie, and so the, the, the unit is still active and they're stationed that, you know, or chapter, um, and, <clears throat> and so they, they get invited by the mayors of these small towns. And they'll, um, you know, they'll ask the vets, they're like, hey, do you guys want to come? You know, we'll, we'll help you travel. And then they did, you know, it was just, it was really great. Um, So like Jack Nakamura, he was with a a replacement with a hundred, like he had a wheelchair and they, they lifted his wheelchair so he could see, you know, they carried it to the
0: foxholes. So... That's amazing. What a tribute. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, I've taken too much of your time already, Stacy. You're obviously a very busy person. So I'm gonna just say thank you very much for coming on the show today. This has been Ben Powers with the Commander's Voice. My guest has been Stacy Hayashi, who is the you know writer, creator of the Go for Broken Origin Story movie and the manga comic that's associated with it. I urge you to check it out. And thank you very much for joining us this morning, ma'am.
1: Mm, thanks for having me. All
0: right, have a great day.
1: Me too.